You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hi, I'm Josie Falana, President and Beast. I'm hi, I'm Josie Falana. I'm so nervous. I'm President and Viceroy of the Afro Existential Podcast Band Club, Southern Los Angeles District One Division Committee. And I had a simple, I had a question. I wanted to know how do people audition for your variety show? And I'm her co-chair, Bessie. Because we would like to audition for the show. How do you audition? We good, girl. We are real good. We should be on your show. And we have a song that we would like to perform. It's our new hit single called Corona. It's so whack. Because Corona is whack. It's the remix. Give me a beat. Girl, what you been up to since the caddy you locked down? Hey, Tony, it's all about... Solution, I started with me. I started with me. Uh, what did you do? Girl, let me tell you what I did. I prayed on Hallelujah. it. Hallelujah. I prayed on it. Uh, uh, uh. Then it came to me. Yeah, just yeah. like that. Then it came to me. Just like that. I want to hear you say. Corona somewhere. But Corona can't keep me back. Kitty cat. Kitty cat cat cat. Ladies and gentlemen, we invite your apprehensive listening. Hello and welcome to the Afro Existential Podcast's new six-part series entitled Creating Art in Crisis. I'll be your host, Blaine Sparks Teamer, as we explore and share with you how these unprecedented times are affecting creativity and how artists are processing and finding solutions to take their art to the next level. What did you do for your thing I did? What did you do for your thing I did? And we opened our show with the hot new dance track, Corona is So Whack, a song submitted by two of our fan club members, Josie and Bessie. We love this song and these young artists so much that we debuted their video during our HowlRound virtual event. You can check out the HowlRound event and the Young Ladies Music video for Corona is So Whack with a remix on our website at afroexpodcast.com. So sit back and get ready to think outside your box. Yes, it'll be like old times, darling. But first, a word from our sponsors. Every day I struggle with Karen. I don't want to have to struggle with my hair. Get new and improved Afro Existential Sheen Shampoo and Reconditioner. Ow! It goes deep into your roots and uncovers the natural beauty that's been there all the time. Every day I'm oppressed. I don't want my hair to be. Yeah. And for added protection on those current days, there's Afro Existential Sheen Super Holding Hairspray. Ow. A protein-based hairspray that holds your hair back, but won't hold you back. <laughs> I don't even have to take my earrings off. I hate to think where I'd be without it. Afro Existential Sheen Shampoo, Reconditioner, and Relaxer. Get it today, your roots will thank you. And that's no lie. Hello. 
Welcome back to the Afro Existential Podcast, new six-part series entitled Creating Art in Crisis. We are kicking off the series with Melanie Stitt, a licensed clinical social worker who talks to us about therapy as one of the tools for dealing in a crisis. We then end with words of advice from David Sparks on what we can do in the few days leading up to the 2020 presidential election. But first up, Melanie Stitt. Melanie is a licensed clinical social worker who has a private practice in Philadelphia and also works for a group practice in New York and New Jersey. Her passion is working with young adults and people attending therapy for the first time to help them identify skills to live more meaningful and pleasurable lives. Her goal is to make therapy attainable and understandable for people who aren't quite sure what to expect. We can't afford to waste any time. So here we go. We can't afford to waste any time. I like your ascot, Blaine. But you know, it's actually my man. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> but I like the idea that it's an ascot as well. Thank you. It, yes, it's I think it you might actually have a new fashion accessory. Yes. I think so. And I think jump on it. Yes, yes, exactly. You gotta make them a little bit longer and then scrunch up a certain type of a way. Exactly. And you can and wear like, a little bit. right, and you yeah. just button this right here. There you, there you go. go. Yes. I got it. Love it. And then you go, yes. kapow. Kapow, yeah. <laughs> and you gotta make them a little longer so it stays down. Tucked well, you wear right. a couple of them. You wear a couple of them, so it's kind of... No, you know what that is? Remember those things that used to be called Dickies? It was Dickies, like a... Of course, a, yeah. It's a Dickie! It's, it's a Dickie, Dickie, right. It's Dickie 2.0. <laughs> Love it. Dickie 2.0. <laughs> so thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Thank you guys so much. I'm excited. So we were... So when Deer and I were... When we were, we were talking about this idea, I had asked... And I've done a lot of therapy. And I was asking Indira if she had done any therapy. And she said that I was her therapist. Mm -hmm. He didn't know. And I, I did not know that. <laughs> okay. So not informed consent. I did not know. <laughs> I was just giving advice. And so what I thought would be interesting is there are a lot of people who really don't have a concept of what therapy actually is and actually the process. Okay. So I wanted to talk about what our topic is going to be, but also kind of take a person through the process of what to expect after I find a name okay. of a therapist and I see Melanie Stitt, what happens next once after I call you? What should okay. I expect? Okay. So I think everybody does it a little bit differently, but here's my process. So somebody will call me and they'll say, hi, Melanie, I'm calling for therapy or they'll email me. So I set up a 15 minute free consultation by phone or by video. Um, I tell them when they call me, have any questions that you could possibly ask a therapist or anybody that you're getting ready to give money to, to give you advice, have them written down. And that's what you can ask. Basically, people can ask whatever they want, but I want them to think of it as an interview because this is somebody that you're going to trust with your secrets and your fears and all of the stuff that uh, is bringing you to therapy, you want to make sure it's the right match. So we, I expect them to call me. I tell them I, I, I use this, I view this as I would in a, a session, sorry. So it's your responsibility to call me. So if we make an appointment, then I expect you to pursue the appointment. You're the one who called me. They call, um, I, I ask them, you know, when they call what they're interested in and 
what, br- what brings them to therapy. They have several different, you know, ways of contacting me. So if they email me, I'll answer by email, but I like to do it by phone. And then I just start asking questions. What's bringing you to therapy? What's going on? And that's basically where we go from. I give them my, I guess, like my little introductory speech about who I am, what my background is, some housekeeping. Like I I talk to them about HIPAA information, which is the Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act. And that's, you know, anything that you tell me as a therapist is between you and I, unless I think that you're a danger to yourself or others. So I tell people that right off the bat, because I want them to understand what therapy is and what kind of relationship this is going to be. So after we get all of the housekeeping out of the way, I get into, you know, a little bit about what they are interested in. I do ask whether or not they have been to therapy before, because I want to know what their understanding is of it. If they've been before, I'll ask them what they liked about therapy, what they didn't like about therapy. If they haven't, then I'll tell them how I work as a therapist. And then we go from there. If they're interested in setting up an appointment after that, then we set up an appointment. If not, I like to always let people know there's a million different people. So if you didn't get a good vibe from me, that's absolutely fine. What are you looking for? Here are the places that you might be able to find somebody who is appropriate for you. So I think that's important for people to know, because I think, you know, if you've never been to therapy before, then you might be turned off if you don't get a good vibe from the person, the first, the first person you speak to. So I let them know it's okay. And that there are a lot of other people out there. And you know what, you are unique, because everyone does not do that. Right. And they should. And because also there are, because a lot of times it's so hard to get to the point where you realize you need to do it or make that step. And then the next step is, okay, now I have to find someone. And there are, you know, you get this list of dozens and dozens and dozens of names. And then you narrow it down to one. So a lot of times you're just happy if someone picks up the call, you know, takes the call or calls you back. And then when you do get to speak to a person, you're just trying to, I think a lot of times people are just trying to get that appointment, right? just trying to make the appointment. And so all the stuff that you're saying is so important because there are so many therapeutic approaches and methods of which therapists go about it. So the person may not be a fit, their therapeutic approach may not be a fit. And unfortunately, a lot of times it's just, I got to make an appointment and this is the person that picked up the phone and then right. you start that that process and then you you're into a couple of sessions and you're like this isn't working so therefore therapy does not work right and i think it's important to let people know it's okay if you don't think that we're a good fit I mean, at first, when I first started doing this, I was like, no, I should be a good fit for everybody. But I'm not a good fit for everybody. I'm a good fit for the people who believe I'm a good fit for them. So I and you're right, it takes so long to get up the nerve to call somebody and to figure out like, oh, therapy might be the thing that I'm interested in or or what I need that you don't want to be discouraged by the first person, you don't want to work up all of this nerve and then be like, oh, God, like, that was horrible. Like even, right. even a 15 minute conversation with somebody should be able to let you know if they're right for you. But if you're so desperate, or if you're at a point where you're like, I just need to talk to somebody, you might not think about that. Right. So I do like to let know that. Right. Yeah. And we're so undereducated about mental health in general. Right. But therapy, it's never explained. It's never taught to us on how to seek people out. So I think that's wonderful that you take that approach. Or even even what it is, really. Right. I, yeah. I, I don't know what the, I think the connotation may be that, 
oh, it's for someone who's crazy. Right. Or you have to have some type of mental illness. Right. And or it's for Caucasian. Right. And so for us, it's like, well, I'm not I don't need like that's that's for other people. Right. But what I will do is I will complain or tell my problems to friends and everybody else right. who has a bias, but I'm not going to a specific person who can really kind of listen and help right. me kind of get clarity on it. Or my podcast host. Or my podcast host. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Whoever's available. Whoever Whoever's is available. available. <laughs> But I, you know, I think we, I've spoken about this before. I, so I'm 50. I went to, I started therapy in my 20s and I started therapy in my 20s because I didn't like my job and I didn't know what to do. I didn't have another alternative. I was like, I went to school for this. My parents would be really mad if I didn't continue to do this thing, but I canceled it. And it was a, a Caucasian coworker who was like, go to therapy. And I'm like, I don't know what you are talking about. But I, I'm happy that I took that advice and I went because I would have never, I would have been one of those people who, who now is, I'm 53, I would have been one of those people at 53 who was like, I've been at the same job for the past 40 years and I hate it. Or something else might have happened. Like I didn't know that there was an option. What I think is that the people, the younger generation, I get a lot of younger people, they do get it and they don't like to feel uncomfortable. I think that mm -hmm. our, you know, our parents might say, oh, you know, they don't have, they're so soft or, you know, whatever they would say to make it seem as though these, they don't have any coping skills. But I think that they have tremendous coping skills because they're like, I feel uncomfortable and I don't like it. I'm right. going to figure it out. Right. And know that there are tools out there for it. And they know their tools and they're not afraid of, of utilizing them. There's not a stigma attached to it like there might have been when I was younger. They're all for it. What's interesting is that people think that the kids now, like you said, can't cope. But what they don't associate with in previous generations, that the coping mechanism may have been all sorts of acting out from alcohol right. and drug addiction to abuse to right. running away from a situation to uh, lifelong depression, you know, to right. all sorts of things that as uh, a culture we are used to dealing with but never truly talking about or associating right. with any emotional problems that we might be dealing with. I agree. And we have a lot of, you know, I think the stigma about telling other people your business right. would, would have been one of the things that would have prevented us from going. I, I think that was the lack of understanding that people had about what therapy was. But how would we have known? Right. How would we have known that it's okay to go to somebody who's going to tell you up front, because I tell you up front, I'm not going to tell anybody any to tell me, unless you say you're going to hurt yourself or somebody else or me, because that's my job. I'm a mandated reporter. But outside of that, tell me everything. I don't have a judgment. I will listen. I'm not going to tell you that you made, you know, that your decisions about leaving something that was maladaptive but had been passed down for generations. I'm not going to tell you that leaving that was a bad thing. I'm going to applaud you because you took a step in the right direction for your mental health. And I think that the fear is that if I tell somebody something about my family, they're going to have this judgment against my family. I don't. I just want you to be well. And I always tell them, you know, whoever I work with, I just want you to live the life that you want to live. And if sometimes you have to block a family member on Instagram or stop talking to somebody who you thought was a best friend to make yourself feel better, that's fine. And I don't think that's information that we would have had before. I don't think anybody would have told us, maybe you shouldn't talk to your mom right now. Right. Maybe we should figure out a way for you to talk to your mom so that you don't get upset every time you hang up the phone. Right, mm -hmm. right. And so 
And Dara, do you have an idea of what you think therapy is? What I am learning is that there are multiple types of therapy. The type of therapy that I need, not entirely sure, but I will tell right. people often probably go to therapy. Right. <laughs> I tell people that more, I'm like, and I don't have a therapist to recommend. Right. I can, but you know what? I think you, <laughs> you. Just <laughs> listening to you. Listen to you. I think Rex, because I'm about therapy, and I think I've been on this journey for a very long time. I always tell people that solving people's problems, I am not your mama. I'm not, and I'm not a therapist. I, I really can't help. Like I've learned my limitation, you know, right. I can listen and I can support it. And I've learned to be supportive. My friends I think I used to be a big, let's sit down and work on your life type of person. Like, let's just put right. this on paper, fix this. Right. Go through. All you got to do is get a nap, girl. Right. And you are going to be fine. Okay? <laughs> I don't even play those games more. I'm a right. type of person, 100%. Right. And I think about therapy every <laughs> <laughs> I mean, listen, I think that I think that you will do well in therapy when you decide it's right for you to go. I think that, you know, a lot of people probably therapy, but they're not ready. And they don't know you know, what to expect. So I think there's a lot of research you can do. You can talk to your friends who've gone. You can research people online. This is what I always tell people. Because sometimes when people call, I'm like, well, what made you pick? Me? And they're like, well, something you wrote in your bio. Read everybody's bios. Don't just look at her and say, oh, she's got locks. I think I want to work with her. Look at their bio. I feel like you should, you should treat it like an interview when you're calling your, like a prospective therapist. Like, where did you go to school? How long have you been working? How many people do you see? Have you ever talked to somebody who has this? Like you should, you should treat it as an interview. And even after you get all of that information, you can still meet with them and not, and it might not work out, but at least you've done your due diligence. Usually it does work out when you do, when you do your research though. Right, right. At least, you know, like at least you then have a better idea when you get that answer or response from someone if it doesn't feel or sound right. Yeah. And I've been with therapists who are very, it's like you're talking to like your mother and it's very mothering. And then there are some people who don't say anything and it's very kind of cold. And there are some people, it's like you're talking to a friend and they're kind of right. guiding you through a process. So, and at different times, you may need different yes. approaches to it because you may not be ready for like the kind of like cut and dry. You may need somebody that's more kind of motherly, engaging, and it's going to kind of pull it out warm and fuzzy right. at that particular moment. You know? Right. And so everyone is going to be a little uh, different. Yes. Mm. And I think that that's the amazing thing about this field. Everybody needs something different. Right. So that's why there's so many different people and so many different approaches and so many different ways to do therapy. Like I, I think that, you know, some people want you to sit behind a desk because they need to feel like somebody is being authoritative. Some people want you to, like some of my clients, we sit on the floor and we talk about stuff. I don't pick a particular chair because they might want it. Like, I think that you just have to know, and, and a first time person going to therapy isn't going to know what they need, but what they will know is the person that I work that I started working with, I really like her style or the person that I started working, I don't know about them. And that's when you start questioning. You can question them. You can say, because I asked for feedback, like, well, how do you think it went? And that's when you tell them the truth. So I think that the other the other pieces, we're not used to telling people the truth if we're dissatisfied, if we're unhappy. Mm. And then that that builds the anxiety, right? I didn't get to tell them that I really didn't like, you know, when she sat behind the desk because it made me feel like I used to get in trouble when I was in school. 
I didn't tell her that. Okay, tell her. Maybe that's where your therapist sits, and then maybe that's something that you guys could talk about because maybe it's something that you need to explore more, or it might be not the right person for you. And that's just a little thing. Like, I don't know that anybody has ever had, like, I haven't had anybody that's had that issue, but I think that the point was you have, this is the person you can be honest. So if there's something going on and if they're asking you a question, be honest with them. Like we might, we might not be honest with our friends. We might not be honest with our parents. We might not be honest with our spouses because we don't want to hurt their feelings. You're not going to hurt your therapist's feelings. Right. Now with the pandemic and the social unrest, how has that affected clients as well as yourself and how you and how you work with them now? So I have had a lot of people call me since the pandemic started. And so I always say what the the precipitating event is going to be the pandemic, everybody's freaked out because of the pandemic, they might have had, you know, these, these meetings at work about equity and social justice, and now they don't know how to process it. And so they come into therapy because they want to process it with somebody who's not at their job, that they can say whatever they want to, and not, you know, be held, you're not, not not be held accountable. But, you know, people won't say, Oh, my God, I didn't think she was racist, but she just said something and it was racist. So that's why they come in. But what I found is once they come in, and we kind of talk about, you know, I've been with my husband in this house for six months, and I'm going crazy, or I've been with these kids, or, you know, I'm working from home and I don't like it. Then the other stuff that maybe they had been putting off going to therapy for comes out. Mm. Well, really, you know, I didn't realize that my husband, you know, when I wasn't at home, that he just sat around and watched cartoons. Right. I didn't know that about him. Right. And <laughs> I don't like it because I feel resentful because, you know, there's all these different things that come out. And I think they're coming out because people aren't used to spending six months at a time in the house with each other forever, if it's a couple, or people have a lot of time to think to themselves. And they're like, oh my God, this is a thing that maybe I can work on because I didn't realize it was that bad because before the pandemic, I had all of these other distractions. Right. So I think, you know, how, how I'm dealing with it is you come into me and you tell me what's going on, but somehow it turns into something else because I think a lot of people realize that the pandemic is what it is. So my my advice for that is let's figure out how to make the best of this situation. But what's coming out of the session is I didn't realize that I didn't like being alone. Mm-hmm. And now I'm alone and I don't know when I'm not going to be alone. And it's really scary. And then we start processing, you know, the other things that come out. But for me, I mean, I think that I knock on wood have been lucky because I haven't had, I still working my full-time job. I'm still working my part-time job. I like working from home. Yeah, I'd like to be able to go to more places. Yeah, I'd like to be able to travel freely. But I think I've made the best out of this situation. And so I think as a therapist, it's it's something that I use sometimes to talk to my clients about what can we use as our coping skills. Because I found coping skills that I didn't know that I had doing this. I've become more creative. I was already a little creative, but I didn't use my creativity like I wanted to. I've had the ability to do that. I've learned more about who I am as a person by herself who doesn't get to do the things that she gets that she really loves to do and how to pivot in the face of not being able to do all of my like other self-care things. And so I think it's a time to be creative. And so I work with my clients on and and not not just like I'm an artist so I'm going to do art, but what is a creative way for you to get this need met now that now that the way that you've usually done it is not available. And so what are people coming up with? So I have a client who was an art teacher and she is retired now. She's gone back to art. I've had people 
who are thinking of very like people who who are what is that because i'm not it athletic right um, who are, i'm like what's that thing that people what's that do? thing when you move <laughs> you move, you move your arms when you move your arms and your legs i have people who are starting their own web series like doing their own personal training online and and charging people like five dollars to follow them and work out with them however you can figure out how to do the thing that you used to do outside and now with a group of people and now you do it at home people like all of these happy hours that people have been having zoom happy hours which i also don't but people love it because they get to see their friends they get to be you know we're doing a cooking class on saturday like a with my group that i work with in new york we're doing a cooking class so it's literally just using these computers that we have that we didn't really pay that much attention to and using them for everything that we can find or going out into the world and socially distancing on a picnic like i saw people outside my building yesterday having a picnic and they literally looked like they were spaced six feet apart and they were sitting in a huge circle and they looked like they were having an adorable time. So I think you just have to figure it out. And so do you not, I mean, let me circle back. Do you not like the zoom cocktail parties because people are drinking at home or you don't like, like what's the, what's the rationale? So it's a personal thing for me, but I also think, you know, it's not the same. We want to be around people. It's giving, I mean, I think for some people, so I, I'll just say for me, because some people love it. And I think that it is what it is. Like if you like it and it works for you, but I don't want to sit at my house and drink like six margaritas. Right. I want to be outside with my friends and do that. And right. then I want to be able to walk to the place that I used, to, we used to walk to before and do all the things that we wanted to do. So for me, it's giving me, it's, I am a, I'm a carnivore. It's like giving me a plant-based burger. It's the same, but Mm. different. And it's not as satisfying. But I don't take that away from people who do find the joy and like seeing their friends and seeing like 16 people on, you know, their, their screen and talking. But I also think it doesn't, it just doesn't fulfill me the way that I want to. And I'm, I'm not good with the substitution of that particular thing. I don't know that people should be sitting at home drinking as much as you might, you might drink more that you're now that you're at home. And if drinking is an issue for you, then should you be sitting at home by yourself drinking, looking at a computer, and then the computer goes off, and then you don't have anything to do with, you know, with all of that energy that you worked up during the happy hour. So that's just my personal opinion. Got I don't it. know. I, but I, I know, but I know that people love it. I know that it goes on all the time. I think people should do, if it works for you, I think you should do it. How do you help people? There are a lot of creatives, but not just creatives, um, people who get stuck before the pandemic. How do you help people get past being stuck? I think we have to look at why you're stuck like what is what is the reason for being stuck now so there's a pandemic so is your fear that you're going to go outside and get COVID-19 because that's a real fear and it's a real thing that can happen so have we looked at how to do the thing that you want to do safely have you explored that have you tried it and if you've tried it what's been the barrier if you haven't tried it what's been the barrier if you did try it how did it feel and I think it's really kind of pinpointing the where you're stuck, what the issue is, and figuring out how to get you unstuck. I mean, it's the same as before the pandemic, because right. I think that we get stuck all the time. This is a great excuse, but it's not necessarily not necessarily valid if you didn't try any, mm-hmm. right? If you didn't try to get unstuck, I don't think right. it's necessarily a valid. Like, did you did you put your mask on? Do you have your hand sanitizer? Do you have like, are you safe when you go out and you're stuck? 
I guess would be my question. And then stuck just in terms of, you know, I thought I was going to, you know, do all of these things in 2020. What were the things that we thought we were going to do in 2020? How do we, how do we rejuge it so that you can do something similar to it? I've gotten a lot of feedback from writers and artists where you would think, oh my God, I get to be in the house, you know, exclusively and write. I get this time that I've never had thought I would have that I've never had before. But between a global pandemic, you know, people getting killed in the streets, the social unrest, the, you know, Black Lives Matter, their art feels almost like secondary. It's hard to prioritize it when you feel like you should be in the street protest, where you should be on Twitter raging in order to get PPE for our first responders. And they feel that it's hard to get started on something that, especially with with writing, where you're doing it often in a bubble. It's not like you're getting paid for it. It's more, you know, it's a creative, it's your creative outlet. You might ultimately get paid for it, but it's hard to get to, it's hard to like justify it. That's the word I was looking for. I think it's hard to justify art, you know, their, their art and they're having a a blocking that every time you just want to run out. I know I've certainly had days like that where I felt like I should be mm-hmm. in the street. <laughs> but changing but, the world. <laughs> no, I understand that. But I also think, so I was thinking about this earlier today. There's different ways that we, that we protest. There's different ways that we show that we are, you know, working on the cause. And everybody is not meant to be out in the street. It's a marathon, not a sprint, the pandemic and the social justice and all the stuff. You don't have to pick one particular way to make a difference. If you feel that sitting at home and writing out your feelings about what's going on and maybe posting them someplace so that it can help another person, then that's, that's your job. That might make you feel better. I don't know that everybody is supposed to be out in the streets. I think there's so many different ways for us to show that we care. So I, I think for people who, who feel as though they should be doing a thing because somebody else is doing it or they feel that's the only way that they can, they can be supportive, mm-hmm. I, would, I would push them to think, is that the only way that you can be supportive? Is that mm-hmm. what you really want to do? Or do you think that if I'm not marching out in the street, what, I do, what I'm doing doesn't matter? It's not... That's not true. I think you do what you can in the ways that you can. And I think I think also, too, I would ask, so are you doing those things that you feel are important? Like, are yeah. you marching in the street? Are you getting the, the supplies to where they need to get to? Or are you just having anxiety about those things, but not doing anything about it? Because then it would be, oh, I'm so busy doing these things that I don't have time to write which is, which is different. Right. That is different. So, I mean, you're right. I think that you have to figure out what is it that you're doing that you think matter, that, that you think will make a difference. Right. So if you're thinking you should be doing something and you're not doing it, why are you thinking you should be doing it and not doing it? Or if you're doing it and that's preventing you from doing something else, then what's that? It's all about like what your barriers are. Right. Well, I know. And I, early on, I realized that my goal, that it sharpened my goal, which was to channel, channel the anxiety, channel the desire, channel the, the, the rage into what I was writing. Like, I'm very curious as to what type of work is going to come out of this. You know, this is, these types of moments really can transform and create movement of thought. And I, I, I'm so curious about the post time, God right. willing, we get to those. But the post code, you know, <laughs> P, P 
PC uh, yes. <laughs> time channeling and how to, that's actually a question that I want to talk about really is I guess how to help people channel, you know, or how to help people process so they can utilize this time, you know, better. I mean, I think it, it it depends on people's motivation, right? So if somebody comes and they want to kind of work on their motivation on how to address the pandemic, this whole race war that we're having, if your motivation is there, then how are you how are you using this anxiety before before the pandemic? We always have anxiety and we use things, different methods to get rid of our anxiety. So have you stopped using it now? And if you have been blocked by your anxiety because of the pandemic, then we try to get rid of the block. And then we start talking about what you would like to do. What does it look like to, for change? What would change look like for you? And I like to work backwards because I think, so one of the questions I ask people sometimes is if you could just snap your fingers tomorrow, I mean today, and it would be different tomorrow, what would that look like? So if we do that, if we ask that question, then we work backwards from what your answer is. I would like, you know, myself to be able to talk to, you know, people in my community about how we can organize and get, you know, whatever your, your answer is. And then we work for, backwards. So, so what would that entail? How would we start? So if your end goal is to, I want to start doing like organizing my community, what would you have to do first? So this is what you would have to do first. Is there a barrier to you doing it first? And then we talk about the barrier to doing it first and getting started. And then we just go from there and we kind of make a plan on how to get to your goal that you just gave yourself. And I did that pre, pre-pandemic, but in terms of helping people get stuck and people who really want to do something and they don't know how to do it, I do it now. It's your plan. You've made this plan. So we've kind of come up with a plan on what you'd like to do. It's measurable goals. You've, you've had... 100% input into it. So it is a goal that you've made for yourself. And now we're just figuring out my job is to help you figure out how to get to it. And I have a, uh, I don't need, I don't know if I saw it on your Instagram page, Melanie, but I think about it a lot. And it's the idea of like tra- trauma porn. Oh. And it, it's, it's so, you know, first of all, you turn on the news. Right. And it's become so normalized. You go to your Instagram, it's, you know, and you're trying to curate your life a little bit. And it's so normalized there. And then it's repeated over and over and over again. And it's, it's information, almost like information that we know, but then having to being forced to see it repeatedly. And it's in, you know, I, I would go on a rant. This was a, a couple of years ago when there were all these films that were winning all these big awards, right? So it was like Twelve Years a Slave. It oh, was yeah. the Green, uh, what the Green the Book, Green Book, mm-hmm. Green Book. There were like a series of them, like back to back to back, and they were kind of a moonlight. They were all kind of right. being celebrated. And I looked at, I was like, this is just like the most tragic portrayal of us. And it's being, it's so celebrated and we're seeing it. And now we're seeing, you know, you see it in theater, you right. see it, and then you see it on the news played out over and over again. And you feel like that, that's, that is the only, only, exi- depiction. only ex- D- depiction, yeah, depiction right. yeah, or just only way to kind of see or be in the world. And so how do you, I don't even know if there's an answer to this, but what are your thoughts and how do you kind of navigate through that? I think you're right. I don't know if there's an answer. I always recommend that people, if there's something that you are looking at and it is making you upset, causing you trauma, reopening a wound, turn it off, Un- unfollow 
if it's a page that if you're online and there's a page that always has, okay, six officers, you know, beat up this person and this person was shot seven times and that's all they report on, then unfollow them. If you must see the video, then videos, I would ask, why do you need to see it? You, you read what it is. So I don't right. understand why you need to re-traumatize yourself. Right. But I think that people, I think people have to figure that out in terms of how it's affecting their life daily. So if you're constantly looking at this, it can't possibly be, it's, it's like watching violent movies all the time. It's right. not, it's, it's, it does something to you. It, it normalizes and desensitizes you and then you don't, and then you don't care, but, but you do care. I think you, I think you you take it inside and it comes out in different ways. Maybe your children see it and they become more violent, you know, or they think violence is okay and they start hitting each other and, and it doesn't bother them anymore. And then they grow up and they, you know, it just is perpetuated because it's so normalized. It's, it's right. I think of it as when we saw the kid um, who went to, I can't remember where he went to, but he shot the two protesters at one of the, pro- at one of the marches. In Kenosha. And he sh- in Kenosha. I don't know that anybody was so surprised that they saw him walking down the street with a rifle, but you should be surprised when you walk down right. the street and see somebody with a alarmed. rifle. You should be right. surprised, alarmed, you should be scared. scared. You should be, right, scared, all of the things. And so I think watching the news all the time and seeing people get murdered, watching violent films, reading about violence all the time, that causes us to say, oh, he's walking down the street with a gun. So I, and it's, you know, it's odd, but I'm not that alarmed. So I think that we have to identify what I think it's doing to me. How do I feel like it's, it's affecting me? Is it, I would ask the question, is it making my day better? By So right. I always say unfollow things that make you upset, find credible news sources that you trust and get your information from them and try to get it. Do you need it 10 times a day or can you check in the morning and then check in the evening? Right. I'm just thinking that you have to limit the amount of information that you get. And then the flip side of it is, is that, you know, I'll find myself like tearing up when I see something where like Kamala and Biden are having like a civil conversation and it's just like they're just being kind to each other right. or someone doing an act of kindness where it just seems like I think when the, for some reason when Kamala gave her speech I was just like crying because it was like this was like so refreshing right and it that it has become not the norm. right so to see it it was like oh like it was like the ice was finally being removed and it was like oh this is what it sounds like and feels like and could look like because we're so not used to that now. It's so been just like, you know, and it's how people, it's how the news sells themselves. You have to like right. at six o'clock fire here and poison here yeah. and 20 people dead here. And it's like, okay, I have to watch it because I have to know what's going on. Right. But it's so it's what they hopeless. also do. Yeah, yeah it but feels it's very, very, very right, right. right. Yeah. So I think that is as much as we follow things that might make us upset, we have to counterbalance that with things that, that bring us joy. We have to, we have to, if we're going to continue to use social media as our way of finding out news, if we are going to continue to, you know, watch the news all the time, then we have to counteract that with something that's joyful. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, it's now, if you can help thing. me figure out how to make my Yahoo front page just be the good news, I'm telling you, it, that Yahoo, my Yahoo News almost killed me every day. I try, and I got to go through that to get some dang mail, and I get upset. Right. And I think the only hope that they try to give you is it's Kim Kardashian. So yeah. I wonder if that means you know limiting. So I see that the Yahoo's there. Is it come in email form, or it's just like you go to your page, pew, right there? If you go, if you go to Yahoo, I usually go to Yahoo to get to my my mail. But as we've talked, I already realized I need to just bookmark my mail and just yes. Look at- <laughs> 
Right. There's Problem ways solved. that we can Right. <laughs> that's a therapist. Problem, Problem solved. solved. That's what a therapist does. <laughs> <laughs> and you figured Help it you out on your own. And you figured yeah, it out on your own. Right. I, I mean, know. so that's, but that's, that's some of, the, so really, like when you go to a therapist, that might be what your therapist, okay, so do you have to look at Yahoo News or do you, can you just look at your email and you say, you know what? I could look at my email. A therapist will give you information about stuff you probably know. Sometimes you probably know, but just didn't think about just yet. Or I've been doing it like this so long, it would never dawn on you to do something a different way. Um, It's Mm -hmm. somebody who does not know you, who doesn't know your habits, doesn't know your pattern, who's saying, oh, well, you just told me that you did that like five times. Did you realize that you did it five times? You're like, no, I didn't realize that. So this this is totally off topic, but sometimes when people are like, oh, I don't really have a big enough issue to go to therapy for, my stuff is minor compared to what other people are going through, nothing mm-hmm. is minor. If you have something going on that you want somebody else's ideas about how you should handle it, or you just want to figure something out, you can go to a therapist. It does. I don't think that there's any issue that's small. And I think we talk about the things that are present right now, like the pandemic and, you know, the election and all of those things as things that are bringing people into therapy. But really, a therapist helps you problem solve. Mm -hmm. We help you problem solve and help you build new coping skills. We help you build, use coping skills that you've had and you just didn't know you could use it for this situation. It's enhancing skills you already have that you didn't even know that you could use. And I think really also, you know, different from a life coach is that the therapist is really helping you come up with those answers on your, your, on your own. Right. Mm. So really it's, guiding you to get to that yeah. thing versus saying, okay, this is what you need. Right. Because I can tell you what I think you need to do, but that doesn't mean that that's the right thing for you to do. You might have skills that you've used in the past that you're very comfortable with that you just didn't realize that you could use for the situation that you have now. I think that we do that a lot. I think that we know how, like back in the day when I had an issue, how did I solve it? oh, I didn't know I could use that same coping mechanism and skill to solve this problem. Which like a little tweaking or, you know, maybe, you know, I'm older now, so I would do it a little bit differently. But it's just, we forget sometimes that we are so resilient and that we know how to take care of ourselves because I think, you know, we just have so much going on, so many things going on that we just forget about it. And things and skills that we take for granted, it's not we being take assets. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that shopping for therapy sounds scary, but I think that once you find a person that you think really understands you and can can help you, then you probably you probably need to do a lot of work to find that person. But once you do it, I think that you will be happy though. I don't know. I mean, I, everybody has a different a different way of working with people I think that I'm more down to earth I think I like young I like my people I like the kids that are just coming out of college or I have like high school kids but I like people also who are new to therapy because I know I was frightened when I went and I think that I try to make it less I th- I try to normalize it and make it less scary mm-hmm. I have the clinical skills I've I've been doing this for a long time but I still have my personality. And I think that my personality brings the people who stay with me. I think that that is why I have the people that I have. If you look through the resources, you can go to Therapy for Black Girls, you can go to Psychology Today, you can go to all of these different places to look for therapists and you read their bios and somebody sticks out to you, call them and engage them in a conversation and ask all of the questions that you feel like you need to make a, a decision. This was what my thesis was on for graduate school was, but how do you become an informed consumer for therapy? Yeah. 
And it's almost like you're looking for, how would you look for a car or for a home? You wouldn't necessarily just go to a car dealership and buy the first car that you right. saw. You know what your needs are. You know what you're looking for. And you kind of do, hopefully you do some research and right. you find the right place. And then you, you get a vibe of what they're like. And then you, you know, you make the purchase right. at that point, you know. Um, unfortunately, so many of us are doing it when we're at a point of right. distress. So it's trying mm -hmm. to like, you're just trying to get to the emergency. Right. And so whoever you call it first, whoever can see you, that's who you're going to go to. And you feel like you've done all your work based upon that. And then you get it and, you know, it could go either way. Right. Like, it's and, fine, but if I had more time, I would have maybe gone to the other yeah. hospital. Right, right, right. <laughs> but then also for so many people, financially therapy. Oh, yeah. And I wanted to bring that up. We had spoken about that. But then, you know, even people who have insurance might have 10 sessions, you know, so you feel like, okay, I got 10 hours to work right. this out. So I, if I go, if I go, if I meet seven people and I and I spend my fifteen dollar copay, copay, I, I'm only gonna have three more sessions to, to figure this whole thing out, you know. So I think that's also a barrier that's important to get as much information to work around, right? And it is so therapy is an investment that. Luckily, there's a couple of agencies that you can go for low-cost therapy or help you pay for therapy. But you're right. Therapy is expensive and it is something that is an investment, but you should still, regardless of whether it's an investment or not, if I'm giving you $15, I still want to get the service that I need. And I also don't be afraid to ask your therapist if they have a sliding scale because mm -hmm. some people do have a sliding scale. That's good to know. Fantastic. Okay. Perfect. Yay. Perfect. Thank you so much. It was thank wonderful. Thank you, you guys. This was fun. No, I was just saying, Melanie, thank you so much for enjoying. We really appreciate you, it. No problem. No problem. I enjoyed it. Thank you. Well, what do we do now? Next up is David Sparks. If you listen to our audio play, Dead Weight, A Journey in Afro-Existentialism, David played Brady Mulligan. We interviewed David over the summer on episode two of our podcast. Since we are days away from election day, we invited David back to get some additional insight on what we can do in the final stretch. You can follow David on Twitter at DFSparks. We can't afford to waste any time. We are really close to the date of the election. We can't afford to waste any time. And I think there are a lot of reasons to be optimistic. What we wanted to talk about was what people can be doing in this stage. If you have already voted, hats off to you. Thank you. But if you have the option of taking your ballot to either your city hall, your county clerk, or to an official designated ballot box. I have one. Those are probably the best options. And if you don't know where those places are or what's available to you, then please go on the internet, Google your city or your county, and where can I drop off my ballot? That's the best thing to do. It makes it easier to do what must be done. You can look up your states and say, when do my ballots have to be received? What are you going to do? Because different states are going to have different rules. Some some states, it's the case that if it's postmarked on election day, they'll count there it. There isn't time. Other states, it's not. And then even the states that do give you extra time, the periods are different. So first, if you have internet access, you know, find out what are the rules in terms of when your mail-in ballot has to be received. Please, turn them in. We can't.
can't afford to waste any time. Because we've seen some pretty good rates of ballot returns, but there's a lot of ballots that were requested that are out there. And we just want them counted as soon as possible. You know, I think everybody wants to be clear that night who's won. Because we don't want to put ourselves through weeks or months of really not knowing who the president is going to be. Or am I wrong? I'm scared. The other thing I wanted to talk about is what works in terms of getting people to vote. Would you say it was dependent on rocket propulsion or some hitherto unknown gravity-repellent magnetic field type of turbojet power? I've looked up a couple of studies on this, and the most important thing is whether or not voting is a social expectation within your social group. You talking to the people you know about voting and the importance of voting is the most effective, most important tool that we have in terms of getting people to vote. You can also extend that to your social network online. All that's been explained leads to one conclusion. That is an an effective method in terms of modeling voting in that social group. Talk about it on your social media, but most importantly, if there are people in your lives who you know who have not voted, if you can talk to them, that's a really effective way. Your brothers must have justice! What are you talking about? What's wrong? We got to get those infrequent voters out, people who didn't vote in 2016. So if there's any way you have in your either your online social circles or your social circles to talk with people, that would be great. May I say it just once more, please? And I just hope everyone can keep their heads up and be hopeful and, and try to manage the anxiety over this next period. And I just hope everyone can keep their heads up and and be hopeful and, and try to manage the anxiety over this next period. You know, we have so many things to be anxious about. I, I'm wishing everybody the, the equanimity to try to manage that so it doesn't cripple you because I, I know what that's like. And that's it. Thank you. Good luck. Every word is true. I swear. Ah! It's all finished. I've finished it. Well, that completes our first episode of our series, Creating Art in Crisis. I hope the information was helpful, and I hope you join us next week. And here's something else that's big news. For our interview with Danny Feldman, the producing artistic director of the Pasadena Playhouse. We discuss with Danny how they are moving forward during this pandemic and the recent launch of PlayhouseLive.org. Their beautiful new digital hub for high-quality theater experiences, original series, educational programming, and other industry-related content that builds on the pioneering legacy central to the Pasadena Playhouse. You can check out PasadenaLive.org now. And we'll leave you with the infectious new dance anthem, Corona is So Whack, by Josie and Bessie. You can check out their video on our website, afroexpodcast.com. And as always, have a great day on purpose. Girl, what you been up to since the caddy queue locked down? Hey, Tony, it's all about solutions. So I started with me. I started with me. Uh, What did you do? Girl, let me tell you what I did. I prayed on it. Hallelujah. I prayed on it. And it came to me just like that. And it came to me just like that. I wanna hear you say Corona somewhere, but Corona can't keep.
Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise. <laughs> 